Father, renew us through your Spirit, the Spirit of whom we have just sung. Lord Jesus, you said, if I go away, I'll send you a helper, an advocate, a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And you poured forth your Spirit at Pentecost, and you have been pouring forth your Spirit ever since, not just with us, but in us, the Messiah dwelling within, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we, we beg you, Holy Spirit, we need your presence, we need your help to stir us up, to, to help us, to prepare our hearts and minds to receive the Word of God right now. It is so important this next hour this whole service for the life, for our lives as believers, for our families. So Holy Spirit, come and work to illumine us, to teach us according to your word, to meet us where we're at in regards to our own trials, our, our, the sufferings and the stories that we carry into this building, the hurts, the challenges, different places in our walk with you, different levels of maturity in our sanctification. Father, help us. We pray that you would open our eyes now to behold this truth, this foundational and fundamental truth about suffering in our Savior from the book of John. Help us to settle in. Help us not to be distracted, to lay aside encumbrances. And Holy Spirit, would you be working in this church, strengthen us, equip us. During this next hour, we ask it in, in Jesus' name. Amen. My best friend, whose name was Chris, uh, died uh, 12 years ago of kidney carcinoma, of kidney cancer. He was only uh, 40 years old when he passed away to be with the Lord. And I often wondered why the Lord took him at such a young age. It didn't make any sense at all to any of us. He was a really, really gifted history teacher at a Christian school over in Maplewood, and he had about two years into that uh, new ministry, he was married to a young wife, and they had just adopted a little girl who was just not quite three years of age. Further, I had just preached his ordination service three months before he passed, and he was 
uh, a pastor at Twin Cities Bible Church that planted us. And with all of those things happening in his life, the Lord took him. I've wondered why the Lord took him at that age. Why did he suffer so much? He, he suffered tremendously the last six months of his life. Very painful to watch. Why, Lord? I think Mary and, and Martha, who were the sisters of, of a man named Lazarus, asked the same question. And I know for certain, because I know you, that you and I often ask that same question as well. Maybe we're too spiritual to verbalize it to others, but it resonates still within the chambers of our hearts. Why, Lord? Why am I suffering, Lord? Why will it not relent? Why is there no light at the end of the tunnel? So please take your Bibles and, and turn to that passage about Mary and Martha and their brother named Lazarus that we find in John chapter 11. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. Our passage that we will look at this morning will be verses 1 through 16 of John chapter 11. Let's get to know Mary and Martha a little bit. We'll be seeing them in Luke chapter, uh, when I get back to Luke chapter 10 in a couple of weeks, so we'll get a little background on them. It'll prepare us for continuing our, our Luke series as well. John chapter 11, follow along as I read, starting in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, then he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because 
he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. We need the biblical perspective on our suffering so, so terribly, so deeply. We need to have our minds renewed by the truth to have God's view of our lives and our suffering. And it's gritty. And it's brutal. And it admits to so many different things that we're feeling, and yet the truth will still stand. So this morning, I want to consider from this passage three aspects of, of suffering and sickness in the lives of believers in Jesus Christ. First, I want us to consider the real pain, the real pain of suffering in the lives of believers. Look at your text and let's pick up this passage in verse 1 of John chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick and Lazarus of Bethany, Bethany it's a little town about two miles from ground zero, the hotbed of Jerusalem. And it's the village where Mary and her sister Martha lived, the text says. And John wants us to know it's the Mary I'm talking about is the Mary, verse 2, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So this is the Mary, and John hasn't even unpacked this passage. It's actually in John chapter 12 where we get the account of, of Mary taking that costly perfume that cost... At, your whole retirement poured out over Christ out of love for Him. So this is the kind of 
person we're dealing with, this is the kind of unique love relationship with Jesus that, that this family had. And, and John wants us to know that, that Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus was sick. It's not a cold. The word sick here is, is the kind of word that is sickness unto death. It's a deathbed illness. It could be translated, he's deathly ill. I think in some places it might be. He's, he's, he's sinking into illness. We would not bother you, Lord. We would not send messengers to, to you, Lord, if it was not serious. We need you to come. It's time to come. Lazarus is dying. Lazarus. The one whom you love is sick unto death. Look at it in verse 3. So the sisters sent word to him. He's a good day away. And they were saying, Lord, behold, pay attention, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. The word love here is the word that expresses an intimate friendship. Jesus, your good friend, the one whom you love, is sick and he's dying. He's sinking into the depths of Sheol. Lord, come, quick. I want you to notice something right away. Real sickness unto death. Real suffering is clearly experienced by those individual people that Jesus loves. Did you notice that? Jesus loves them and yet they suffer. He's on his deathbed. And death is not pretty. It's never pretty. Death for the believer is still an enemy. Yes, we have victory in Christ, but it's not fun. It's still an enemy. Seen it close hand. You have too. Someone dying a slow, emaciating, painful death when you're 40 and your heart doesn't want to stop, but your body is given out is some of the most painful thing that I have ever watched in my life. My friend Chris dying. When I looked at Chris and I saw his suffering, I just couldn't imagine anything worse than that. This is Lazarus. He's dying, he's suffering, he's got concerned sisters, and he, the text says, was one whom Jesus loved. And so those loved by Jesus Christ are not exempt in this life from the most intense pain and suffering that you can imagine. They're not. They're not exempt. Lazarus was not exempt. Chris Drager, he was not exempt. Those who you know and love, and you're thinking of them, they were not exempt. 
Now listen, we're not exempt either, but this suffering and the trials of our lives are never signs. They're never signs that Jesus does not love us from this text. Suffering and trials and sickness in your life, it's never a sign that Jesus does not love you or that He somehow loves you less. So I I think it's important for us to maybe pause for a moment and all of us, kids included, if you can understand my words, I want you to think because you have disappointments and discouragements too. Friendships and at school. And you have pain too. So I want everyone in this room to think about a current, a right now sickness or suffering or trial, maybe no one else knows about it, that you are experiencing. That's real for you. So take a moment. I don't need to give you any ideas. It could be a marriage that is failing and you just, there's no, it seems there's no hope, no relief. It could be a child who's turned their back on the Lord. It could be a sickness. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you want to be married and you're not. Maybe you're just lonely. Think through and make it tangible, make it real. Everyone grab hold of that right now. Where are you at today? And I would just say to you, Jesus loves you right now where you're at. He does. He loves you. Lord, behold, the one you love is sick. Jesus, you love Lazarus. He's sinking. And of course, in these words is a cry for help, but they don't actually ask Him for help. They assume that He'll help. It's Jesus. He's the compassionate one. He's the merciful one. Is it better to, to give than to receive? He gives and He gives. And He heals and He heals. Right? And so they don't even ask. They just assume, of course He'll come. It's Lazarus. But what happens? What does Jesus do and what does Jesus say? Well, that's what we're going to turn to in our second point. But let's not miss that first point. The real pain of suffering in the lives of believers. It's gritty. It's real. Don't sugarcoat it. We'll see how real it is in a moment. Number two then, a second aspect of suffering, including sickness in the life of believers, is Jesus turns to this, and John does, and we see secondly, the ultimate purpose for suffering, even sickness in the life of believers. Look at it in verse 4. But, when Jesus heard this, He said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified 
by it. So, uh, they take word to Jesus. He's in the Transjordan. He has fled because he said, I and the Father are one. Never a good thing to say when they think you're just a man. And they picked up stones to stone him and he got out of there. So he's about a day away from Bethany at this point. They need to move quickly and get this message to him. And so they do. They get him the message. And Jesus says, the sickness is not to end to death. And he gives the reason for the suffering of Lazarus. And the answer is this. And, you know, we have it on plaques and we, we've got verses on this and we have cross-stitched it enough that it doesn't mean anything to us. For the glory of God. Believer, that's why you're suffering. For the glory of of God. This sickness, he says, is for the glory of God. Now, this does not mean glory as in God will be praised. That's not what John means by glory. In the book of John, God's glory is not commonly the praise that is due God, but the glory of God in the book of John is the revelation of God. It's His self-disclosure. Think of it this way. In order that God would be put on display, that He would reveal Himself. And we know, because we've read our Bibles, where is the revelation of God seen most clearly? In Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what He does. In the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the exegesis. He's the explanation of the Father. When you see Christ, you're seeing what God is like. And that's why the text goes on to say, look at it, in order that, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it, by the sickness. Now, stop for a moment and just consider what John is doing here. He's connecting the glory of God and the glory of the Son of God, which is clearly Jesus, the man from Nazareth. And he's, and he's saying that this man, Jesus, is to be glorified on parallel with God, which is a claim to the deity of Christ. How can any man be glorified just as God is glorified? But we're also... We're blown away by that, but we're in the context left asking, how in the world could God the Father and God the Son be glorified when a 40-year-old man is pulled from his wife and pulled from his three-year-old and pulled from his, his history ministry and pulled from his pastoral ministry at age 40? That's the question of this chapter. And frankly, it's tough to do a one-off Because the whole rest of chapter 11 is the answer to that question. But, we know what happens. Lazarus, come forth! He comes forth, right? And I also know that 
chapter 10, when Jesus flees up into the wilderness in the Transjordan, that is the end of his public ministry. And now, in the book of John, we know at this point in chapter 11 that there's a shadow, the shadow of the cross of Calvary. And we know what John means by glory. He means the glory of the cross of Calvary. This full self-disclosure of who God is and what He is like and His great love for sinners like us. So, we're going to get a full picture if we kept studying the rest of chapter 11. But right now, believers, I want you to think about that, that sickness and trial in your life. And I want you to hold on to this truth. This is, this is, Christianity is not about warm fuzzies and how your flesh feels and your emotions feel most of the time. It's taking your mind and setting it upon truth and rewiring your life according to that truth. That's what we're called to do here. It frankly doesn't feel right. It doesn't make a lot of sense most days. But this is what we hold on to. My sickness, my suffering glorifies God the Father and the Son. It reveals the glory of God. It's showing forth somehow the glory of God. And the purpose of this revelation ultimately is to glorify my Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loves me. That's the truth. That is the truth of the Scriptures. That's the ultimate purpose in suffering. Okay, so we're all... Okay, Pastor Jeff, thank you for telling me what I already know and not understanding my pain. I understand that. But we're not done with the sermon. Hang with me. How is He glorified? Let's, let's get beyond the... The theology here. Let's figure out how this works out in my life. How could He really love me if He allows me to suffer? Not what I do as a father. Well, there are good questions and that leads us to our third aspect of sickness and suffering in the life of believers. Number three, the sovereign plan in suffering, even sickness in the lives of of believers, the sovereign plan. And we're going to look at the how and the why here and look at three crucial truths in verses 5 through 16 about God's sovereign plan and our sickness and suffering and trials. Now, hang with me. They're going to all fit together, hopefully, by the end. But number one crucial truth is this the sovereign plan is there, and it's, and it's gritty and it's real, but listen carefully. There are delays. Number one, first crucial truth, there are delays but always delight. There are delays but always delight. There are delays in our lives in the midst of suffering. But always Jesus loves us. But it gets, let me unpack this. Look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, John is going over the top with it. Remember Mary? She cried and poured and wept. And Jesus has a special love for Lazarus. And by the way, Jesus loves 
let me list them off. He loved Martha, and he loved her sister, and he loved Lazarus. Y'all got it? Jesus loved them. Can we miss it? It's over-the-top emphatic. Do you see that? The specificity of the love of Christ. Specifically, three persons. And Jesus loved each of them uniquely, individually, the specific nature of Christ's love. He doesn't just love the church as this amalgist bride of Christ without name. You know, He loves Jeff and Owen and Fatima. He loves you individually. He knows all about you. He knows your sin. He knows your failure. He knows your weakness. He knows your level of sanctification. Jesus loves Jeff. You know, my mom, bless her heart, she's not here to defend herself, but I sent my daughter Hannah to college here the other day, and it was sad, but it reminded me of when my mom and dad sent me to college, to Michigan Tech, to be a technical writer at the time. Well, my mom had this thing. It was probably this big, you know, art thing. You know, it wasn't really... It was something you could hang on the wall. It said, and I'm going to a secular college, right? Jesus loves Jeff. Like, I'm supposed to, like, plaster that right on the wall in front of my roommates. Well... I want to. I, I love my mom, so I want. I just trying to make a both and. So I, I put it behind my pillow, on my top bunk of my bed, and it would hang right there. But I would pull that away, and I would read that in the sometimes in the middle of the night in my loneliness, and be reminded that Jesus loves me. And we know, and we're going to learn that Martha and Mary weren't at the same level in their walk with Christ. They had different personalities. One was a bit frantic. One liked to sit at the feet of Jesus. They're different. And Jesus loved them in their differences. J.C. Ryle says, the weakest, the feeblest disciples are all loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus loves all of us. He knows all about us and He loves us. Shouldn't that inform our love for weak believers as well? By the way, if you think the other believer is weak, beep, 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 maybe. We may have a hard time loving other believers, but Jesus does not. Let me say that again. You may have a hard time loving other believers, but Jesus does not. Notice verse 6. This is get your seatbelt on for verse 6. Let me start in verse 5. Here we go. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, or therefore in the Greek, so when he heard that he was sick, he just hurried up and got there right away. No. Let's read it. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It's astounding. It's shocking. 
Jesus loved him and her and her. Therefore, he delayed. He did not go heal Lazarus. It's a strange kind of love. He allowed Lazarus to sink into suffering unto death. Listen, brothers and sisters, I told you we're going to have to renew our mind by truth, not how we feel. Sometimes the delays of Jesus Christ and our suffering and sickness and trials are because He loves us. Not in spite of His love for us. According to this text. Sometimes He delays because He loves us. Why does He not just take Chris home? This suffering is just, it's ridiculous, Lord. Enough. Why am I not married yet? What do I got to do? Why am I constantly lonely and never fit in everywhere I go? I prayed. Twenty-five years in this marriage and still, after all those prayers, no better. Why will God not take away these feelings? His delays are not inconsistent with His love for you. John chapter 11. But His delays hurt, and they hurt a lot. Right? They hurt. Imagine Martha and Mary for a moment. Got the word out. The life, is, the life is seeping out of Lazarus' body. His kneecaps are turning blue. He's gasping for breath. Then his hands go blue. Then his feet go blue and numb. Paralysis sets in. The respirations go shallow and the pain is intense. And they look to the left. They look to the right. They're looking down the road. Is he coming? He's not coming. The delays hurt. They hurt. And he breathed his last, and Lazarus is still, and Jesus had not come. When a child dies in her mother's arms, when the ambulance is stalled three blocks away, we wonder, does he love me? When a Christian businessman with six mouths to feed is falsely accused at his work and he pleads with God to defend him and bring the evidence to clear him, but it's not until he loses his job that the evidence is brought out, you wonder, does he really love me? Or... Our children stray from Christ after hours and hours on our knees or your child is sick and disabled after all that treatment and all that prayer. Sometimes, if we're honest, we ask, does he really love me? But the truth 
is that God's inexplainable, inexplainable, don't ask me to explain them via email or a one-hour meeting, God's inexplicable delays in our lives are not inconsistent with the depths of His love. As one has said, and I think this is good, we must learn to interpret circumstances by the love of Christ and not, let, and not interpret Christ's love by our circumstances. There are delays in our lives, but they're not inconsistent with love. The second crucial truth in the midst of God's of suffering and God's sovereign plan for suffering is this. There is fear, but there is always fellowship. Okay? It's gritty. There are delays. And they hurt. And you're afraid. We are afraid in our trial. We are afraid in our sickness. We are afraid in our suffering. We need to admit it. Come on. There's fear in our minds in the midst of suffering. But Jesus is with us. Look at it, what he says, verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? And here's Jesus' answer to that. Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So Jesus, you know, is, I think it's diff maybe difficult to interpret, but Jesus is saying, Faith is rising up in respect to His humanity. Faith in the plan of His Heavenly Father, in the love of His Heavenly Father. And says, I'm good. I got, a I, got a I, got I got light right now, 12 hours to get to work. And, and I'm going to do my work while it's still day. I, and he's going to go on to say, and he said, I am the light of the world. So that's, there's a hint in that my light is shining. God's got me. No one can take my life from me one minute sooner than the Father allows. And so he's saying, brothers, let's go. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's wake him up. You mean he's not dead? I mean, they just can't possibly conceive that the Christ would not go there and be there for his friend. So Jesus has to say, no, sorry, he's dead. I'm not kidding. I'm not there. <laughs> We're going now. He's dead. Let's go to Jerusalem together. You are safe until your hour arrives. As long as you are with me in the light of the world. As long as the light of the world is in us and among us then we are fine. We walk in the day. We are not going to stumble until perdition or death or anything like that could ultimately separate us from the love of Christ. There's so much here in that little short parable of Christ. But ultimately, he says, don't be afraid. Let's go. I'm going with you. 
You're not alone. There is fear, but there's always fellowship. We're safe when we walk with Jesus. He may not rescue us from every trial, but He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even in what you're thinking of right now, in that suffering and in that trial, even when you feel like quitting preaching, going back to radiology, He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm with you. The light of the world is with me. The light of the world is in me. When I am afraid, when you are afraid, that is precisely when you have the most intense fellowship with the Lord of glory. That is the truth that He wants us to hold on to in the midst of our suffering. Is the fear real? Is it gritty? It is. But the Christ is with me. And we will never stumble in the darkness when the light of the world is in me. He will keep me to the end. And in fact, I find it so ironic that the very trigger for him being away from Lazarus right now is what he said in John chapter 10. So just turn a page back and look at verse 28 and look at the truth that Jesus is trying to get across to them that I'm with you. Jesus says in John 10, 28, and I give eternal life to them. That is the sheep who hear His voice. Verse 27, I know them and they follow Me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one and the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And so Jesus is not in Bethany any longer. He's fled to the Transjordan and he's a day away from a messenger. And he's going back to this truth. You've got the light of the world. I'm with you. Let's go. You're in the double grip of the Father and the Son. And in our fear, we don't have to be afraid. We can trust that he's with us and he'll never leave us or forsake us. So, you still haven't told me how this works, Pastor Jeff. Um, how is this for God's glory? How is God glorified in my sickness? Well, let's go to that third truth as we finish up. The third crucial truth about the sovereign plan for suffering in the lives of believers is so important. Number three, there is doubt. It's a grim reality. There's delays. There's fear. There's doubt. But, there is doubt, but always development. For believers, there may be unbelief in our hearts in the midst of the trial that you're thinking of, but Jesus means to grow you up. He means to Increase your faith. He means to change you. Look at it from the text. Verse 11, then he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go 
so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Jesus is so patient. (laughs) Verse 13, Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Why? Why the delay? Why? How does this glorify the Lord? How is this love? Verse 15 is part of the answer. And I could never say this, but these are the words of Christ. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. So that you may believe. It's even worse in the, in the, in the original Greek text. The text says that Jesus rejoices that he delayed going to help his best friend Lazarus in order that you may believe. Now Jesus is a little bit or we have really a low view of faith and the importance of growing in faith. Do you hear me? He rejoices that He delayed in order that you may believe. Now, as matter, as point of fact, these disciples were born again. They were already Christians. They don't need to get saved. They have believed. We have believed. But the great goal of the Christian life is, is, is to set our eyes upon the truth of the Scriptures and upon the person and work in Jesus Christ and grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. To grow in faith in the finished work of Christ. And as we gaze at the glory of Christ in the truth of the Word of God, something happens. We are being conformed into His glory from glimpse to glimpse. We become like Christ by looking at Christ. That is faith. Jesus means for us to grow. He rejoices that we grow. He wants us to grow. This is the whole rub of the Christian life. Whether or not we're going to grow in faith in Christ or not. This is it. That's what Paul proclaimed in Romans 8.28. He said this. Now listen, you're, you know this verse, but it'll make sense even more now. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All things? Chris Drager dying at age 40 and leaving a three-year-old behind? He causes all things to work together for the good. Well, what does that good mean? Verse 29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. There it is. That is the one good 
that is what God is doing in our suffering, in our trials, in our sickness, our whole lives. He is conforming us day after day more and more into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is going to be through not our own works and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps to somehow chip ourselves into the mold of Christ. But it is going to be by seeing Him and believing in Him and in the truth of His Word. And so, seeing His glory, we are going to be changed from uh, glory to glory into His image. If that's too complicated, that is how you grow. That is what sanctification is. That is what growth in Christ is. It's by taking this passage today and saying, you know what, I don't feel like it, but I've learned and I'm going to believe that His delays in my life are not inconsistent with His love. No, I'm going to believe that yes, I'm afraid, I'm strangely encouraged that they were too, but I'm going to believe that Christ is even with is with me even more so now and has promised never to leave me or forsake me. I'm going to believe it. And then we realize, oh wow, this is what Christ is doing. This is his sovereign plan in my suffering. There are delays, but always delight. There may be fear, but always fellowship. There may be doubt, but he's developing me. He's growing me. And that is the whole point of the Christian life. He wants me to trust Him. And this is exactly what He does in the rest of John chapter 11. It's a case study for this verse. He starts with Martha, then He goes to Mary, a more difficult case. She's very emotional. And then to the rest of the Jews who get to witness the miracle. But He starts with Martha, look at it in verse 17. What does it look like when He uses our suffering to increase faith? Well, here it is. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, He found that He had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet Him. But Mary stayed at the house. Mary, you know what? I'm staying home. You ever feel like that? Jesus is here. Yeah, watch this. I'm staying home. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been there, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. He's bringing faith. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Look at the next few words. Do you believe this? So she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even He who comes into the world. And Jesus says, Where's, where's Mary? Who's next?
Why did my friend Chris die at age 40? Why did God delay in taking him? Well, we have at least in part an answer. Chris died at, the age, at age 40 for the revelation of the glory of God in the person of his son. And even though he died and suffered tremendously, Jesus loved him so dearly. And what did that love look like in his case? It was a love that allowed suffering, a love that delayed unto his death. Why? That Chris would cling to Jesus alone by faith. That Chris's wife would grow in faith. That all the readers of Caring Bridge might believe that his friend Jeff would grow in faith as Chris whispered to me his last words that I remember as, Jeff, don't be frantic. Have faith. Jesus rejoices in the delay so that we may believe. And when we trust in the midst of our pain, this brings great glory to God and great glory to our Lord Jesus Christ that shines even in our own lives and testimony the light of the world on the path of broken sinners before and behind. So brother... Sister, think again of that suffering, of that trial. Don't waste your pain. Believe. Let Him change you, let Him rip out those idols. cling more and more to Jesus. Jesus is saying to all of us here, let's go! Let's go! It's light out! Twelve hours! Let's go with them. Let's do it. Even in doubting Thomas, faith rose in his heart. And he said, let us also go so that we may die with him. Well, die might have been a little, but he was ready. Faith rose. Believer, may you believe that Jesus loves you, that Jesus is with you, and He's getting, He's changing you from glory to glory in every circumstance of your life. Father, thank You for this tremendously important passage. So grateful for it, Lord. Lord, I pray that You would meet each believer here in their hurt, in their misunderstanding, in their suffering that maybe no one, including those closest to them, actually knows. 
you know. Help them to know that you love them individually, specifically, that you'll never let them go. Lord, make them to understand and to feel your presence and fellowship. The fellowship of sufferings, as Paul called it. And Father, help them to see even the big picture that they are being changed. They are being prepared. They are kingdom citizens already and not yet it has been revealed that we will rule angels. They're being equipped from glory to glory. And we are thankful, Lord, that the moment we see you that first glimpse, the suffering, the tears, all of it will be gone. Sin itself won't even be a faint memory, for we will be freed from the very presence of sin and perfect fellowship with our risen Lord forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, thank you for the future that we have. Help us to remember that right now, the feet on the ground, we walk by faith and not by sight. Teach us these things. Meet us in, this, in, our, in our pain from this passage. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.